when there's no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. Everybody and welcome to No More Room in Hell number 54. This is Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How goes it? Greetings and salutations, potential rapists. Oh, wait a minute. You think we have any of them listening to us? Probably not, but in case we do, how you doing? Uh, how the hell are you doing, Mike? I'm all right. <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. It's it's beginning to feel like hell outside here, though. Um, we're, we've hit that point in the summer where we, oh, we start to get back-to-back... Oh man, hundred degree days is just a uh, lot. But. It was one hundred and four <laughs> in the valley today. Loved it. Loved it. Oh, shit. <laughs> I actually uh, went out during lunch because of the heat. When I saw that it was over a hundred degrees, I'm like, I'm going out for lunch. Fuck that. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, I'm one of those weirdos who likes the heat. That's okay. Better that well, than somebody I, who bitches I, about it constantly. <laughs> I I went I went and saw Between the Barry and Me last night and. Uh, it was, like, super hot going to the show, but, like, getting out, it's nice because then when the sun's down, it's, like, it's not really cold, but it's not hot. It just feels like like the middle of the day type of weather. I saw so Between I was, the Buried and Me open for Death Clock in 2004. That was oh, a good shit. show. Oh. An awesome show. <laughs> Can't wait for Death Clock Thanks. reunion. It's coming up. Yep. I'll be there. <laughs> All right, yeah, um, I just bought tickets for the new Dying Fetus tour, too. It's coming here in November. Nice. Uh, it's based on my life, that yeah. band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're one of my faves. Oh, and I also got tickets to the uh, Goblin Demons show tour. That's kind oh. of local, too. You're going to smoke so much weed before that show, huh? Dude, I'm just glad because the, the Suspiria tour only came as close as the Bay which isn't like a super long drive, but it's for a concert. It's like we, I still have to make sure like I, I'm able to get out. But this time, it actually came here, so it's like literally like five miles from my house. So that makes it a lot easier. Um, but uh, also here, yeah. <laughs> well, also here, I should probably introduce him. Uh, you probably heard him already, but uh, Derek, what's up, man? What's going on, Michael? We're ready to talk about Native American Bret Hart, yeah? Oh, hell yeah. Got a I couple hours still. <laughs> yeah, he, he he's the best there is, there was, and there always will be of Native Americans, I guess. <laughs> Ever will be. 
<laughs> and fucking Burgess Meredith's Oscar winning goatee in that movie. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh shit! It's always it's always fun to see people who are like famous for a specific role uh, that you, you associate them so much with a certain role, and then like they're just showing up in other movies, being completely yeah. It's like cool. when, when it's like me. I guess it's I called know. being an actor, right? <laughs> it's like me when and I'm like watching the other movie, and I'm like, hey, it's that guy from Meatballs. Oh, see, you guys probably both went Rocky, whereas I go uh, the Penguin. I go original Batman when I see yeah. Burgess oh, Meredith. Yeah. I'm old. I'm old I as fuck. The penguin. <laughs> Wasn't he in the original of Mice and Men, too? He was, with Lon Chaney Jr. The black and white one? Yeah, yeah. I remember. I, I Like, I had already known him as Mickey, but I think I watched that the, of Mice and Men in school for the first time, and when he when he was on screen he looked so young I didn't immediately recognize him but it was the voice like even even like what 30 40 years oh, ago oh you should have saw him in fucking Stay like Away it. Joe where he played fucking Elvis's dad with red face because they played Native Americans in that movie <laughs> <laughs> shit so what you guys been up to since we last recorded it, it's been a while we've had some postponements obviously uh, probably meant to get this out sooner but if Life is what it is, um, but we're back, and uh, we usually open the show talking about stuff we watched since we last recorded. Obviously, with all the time, we're probably not going to talk about everything we watched, but uh, we'll pick a yeah, we'll pick a few things and rotate like usual. So I'll, I'll kick it to Venom. What's uh, first up on your list, Venom? All right, uh, this episode, I think I'm going to concentrate on documentaries. Uh, for some reason, I got into a kick of watching horror documentaries and mockumentaries over the last, like, month or so. And Tubi, holy shit, Tubi is a great source for these types of movies. Um, the first movie that I'm going to talk about, unfortunately, is not on Tubi. It's on Screenbox, but that is, of course, um, the Robert England uh, documentary, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares. Uh, I had an absolute blast watching this. Now, obviously... We all know Freddy Krueger. We all know, you know, those of us that have been in the genre for, you know, 10, 20 plus years already know Robert England's resume, you know, going all the way back to, you know, V and um, what was what was the space when he did? I forgot the fucking name of it already. But anyway. Galaxy of Terror. Uh, Galaxy of Thank Terror, you. Yeah. And we reviewed it on this show, too, and I forgot the goddamn title. But, yeah. yeah. Obviously, you know, we, we know, you know, we know a lot about England already. And what's funny is that. The documentary is almost like a – it's like a really nice documentary in the sense that Robert England hasn't really had a lot of, like, lows in his life. You know, he's never had a drug addiction that we know about. He's never had, like – you know, he did have one marriage fall apart. But, you know, to only have one marriage fall apart is actually pretty good in this day and age. Um, but, yeah, that, that was one of the things that really surprised me about it is that his whole life – I'm not going to say he led a charmed life. No, he worked for everything he got. I understand that. But everything – it does seem like, you know – uh, the cards would fall in his favor more often than not, you know, be it auditioning for roles. And um, obviously, you know, th there's the famous story of him telling Mark Hamill to go try out for Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. So he basically changed the course of cinematic history, you know, mm -hmm. from uh, from behind the curtains, if you will. But uh, and obviously they went over the Rob uh, the um, the Freddy stuff, blah, blah, blah. So. Uh, this one is currently available to stream on Screenbox. I rented it on VOD, um, so I obviously I paid for it. But yeah, um, I I recommend it. It's 
by far not the best doc I've ever seen by any stretch. Um, but if you're a fan of Robert England, there's no reason that you shouldn't be a fan of this. Uh, I'm going to assume Mike's already seen this one. Uh, yeah, I definitely have. And I, I think one, for people, if you've never been to like a convention that Robert England was at or you've never seen just any other documentaries he's been a part of, although most I, I would guess most uh, hardcore fans have seen Never Sleep Again. But um, one of the most, I think, I don't know if I'd say overlooked or underrated or whatever, but one of the coolest things is Robert English. He's just a great storyteller. Um, yeah. I, I think this documentary, it almost starts documentary style, but then it kind of turns into like Robert England just telling stories like throughout his career. And I, I love the fact that through the course of his storytelling, it really, uh, it really demystifies the in or the occupation of being an actor and the fact that like. I think sometimes we get caught up in the roles that these guys play versus who the actual people are because a lot of his stories, when you hear it on the surface, you're like, what would the dude playing Freddy Krueger have anything to do with all these other people? But in reality, you know, when they're young and they're trying to make it in Hollywood, um, a lot of them are just hanging out with each other trying to make ends meet the same way anybody else would in other industries. So they, they cross a lot of paths. They forge these friendships even though when their acting careers go in different directions as far as, like, maybe, like, in Robert's case, it's mostly, like, genre stuff. But uh, he still is friends with, like, you know, A-list actors, and these friendships usually don't fade. Obviously, scheduling might be to where they're not always hanging out throughout their whole lives, but the friendships are still there. And I think that's one of the coolest things about listening to his stories. And, and another thing is like how much – it might be different now, but at least back then, goddamn, a lot of castings were like coincidental, like right time at the right place. You got the right script handed to you and you, you went and tried out because, man, like, the, you know, if, if the story's accurate, like – we might have never had uh, Luke Skywalker by Mark Hamill if it wasn't for Robert England. Um, so that that was a, that was a cool thing to hear. But yeah, all the stories are fun, and I, I like the fact that obviously they shine a light on the Nightmare franchise and his his obviously big part of it. But it's very much more than that. So if if you think like I don't know if I want to watch it from Freddy out or Nightmare on Elm Street out, it, it's definitely not just about Nightmare on Elm Street. This is a Robert England documentary so yeah i also highly recommend it yep did you see it derek yet yeah yeah i've I've never seen it yet so i'm gonna check (laughs) it out soon (laughs) yeah (laughs) definitely um no i was gonna say yeah you definitely should i I think you'll like it um Uh but yeah all right you're up next derek what you got? Oh, okay. Uh, uh, what I got next is I actually saw this uh, movie called The Tank that just recently got released, like digital, and I think it's got a Blu-ray release too, but I rented it on Vudu recently because it's kind of a movie I wanted to check out. It's a feature feature. Uh, it has like a basic setup where it's about like this young couple who actually own like a pet shop and uh, the husband's like relative died it used to be like their his mother's property he hasn't seen his mother in years and she just passed away so they go and uh check out this place to see what it's all about 
And uh, they discover, like, this old, like, military tank. Like, a, not like a not like a tank tank, but, like, a thing where, like, they stored water is, like, one of those, like, under-down well tanks where it's, like, you open it up and there's, like, a water caravan in there. And uh, pretty much it goes into, like, this uh, setup where it it has, like, the aspect of there's something that might be inside this tank that's starting to rattle and you get some backstory that's some past events that happen in the, the father's life is also connected to this water tank. And man, the monster design in this movie, damn, it's like most, it's like legitimately all practical effects too, which makes it awesome in that aspect of it, where it's fucking awesome to look at. And, you know, it's kind of a slow build up, slow burn where you get like, little bits of it till you get to the fucking climax. Uh, another movie that did this year was Unwelcome, kind of, in that sense. But then when you do get it, it's like a fight for survival with this family and these fucking creatures. And it's pretty fucking awesome. Nice. I've I saw, almost I started that a couple that. times. Oh. Have you seen that yet, Mike? Oh, no. no, I was just going to say, I I browsed by it, and I've almost started a couple times. Um, but I haven't watched it yet. But the premise is definitely interesting, so it sounds like it's something I should check out then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of low budget in that sense, but you know where their money goes well in it. It's like that aspect with the actual like creature effects in it are pretty fucking rad. And you know, there's actually some good like tense moments with the creatures and some blood and gore and shit like that too. You know what I mean? Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I probably will be checking it out for sure. Um, All right, so first up for me, uh, it's a it's a new season of a TV show that dropped on Netflix what a couple weeks ago, and that's the new season of Black Mirror. Um, Now, interestingly enough, Black Mirror tends to be on more on the sci-fi tip, like kind of near future tech and how it can go wrong. But I felt like it's kind of like a a good and bad because do I I think season six overall is probably like middle of like where I'd rank the seasons. But the cool thing is like I think um, what was it five episodes or six episodes? At least half of them seem to really lean into the horror aspects. Um, Before I say anything, have either of you guys watched the new season yet? Uh, I've only watched one episode. Yeah, uh, what, what was it? Joan is awful or something? That's the one I watched. The, the AI one. I'm so yeah. far okay. behind. I haven't even <laughs> tried to attempt to sit down and watch that season yet. <laughs> I've just been busy. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I would say the new season's pretty dark. Um, like everyone's gonna like you know rank the individual episodes of the season as a whole and in wherever they decide to, but I think uh, for horror fans specifically, they should be pleased with this season because they, to me, there's just, I think there's like two of them that I would call outright horror, and then one of them you can kind of make an argument for either way. Now, I mean, Black Mirror, I just love always, for the most part, every, like, no matter what they decide to do because it's just quality writing and stories, 
but uh, I was kind of like hyped that they they went the horror route with them. But uh, you know, by this po- by this point, you would think Black Mirror speaks for itself when it's new. Most people are aware of it, and they're gonna go check it out. So um, for the the grace of my co-host, I haven't seen it yet. I don't want to do any spoiling, but I guess Venom, since you've seen the one episode, how did you like that first episode of the new season? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I just like yeah. Derek. I've, I've just you know my my time gets away from me, and um, I you know as you know, and some of the listeners know, I've been sick over the last few you know weeks to a month, so that's that's taken away a lot of my time, and um, I really jumped headlong into uh, toy collecting recently, so that's taken up a lot of my time. So uh, I just haven't had a lot of time to consume content, but yeah, I'll definitely get around to the rest of that season. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of funny how uh, well not funny, but it's pretty apt that like we get this Black Mirror episode related to AI when now it looks like the what the Actors Guild has decided to join the writers in the strike over that related issues to like AI and future compensation and contracts and all that. So it's like art imitating life, imitating art. <laughs> hey man. As long as I get James Earl Jones' voice coming out, Darth Vader, I'll be happy either way. <laughs> you know, even like <laughs> long before he's gone, he'll still be doing the voice through AI and technology. Yeah, it's, I, I am definitely on the fence on that one. Like, I, like I don't have a major problem with using, you know, um, deceased actors at you know in a, in a digital form. You know, Peter Cushing and Rogue One and kind of stuff like that. And most recently, you've got like. Um, well, no, that that's more de-aging. Uh, in the new Indiana Jones, that opening scene has a lot of de-aging. But um, I'm I'm I don't have a major problem as long as the families are getting compensated. That's really all I care about. If you're gonna use you know a dead Sid Haig in you know Devil's Rejects two, then Rob Zombie better fucking be paying Sid Haig's estate you know for his role, whatever his normal rate was. I mean, just because they're dead is not a good reason to take advantage of them. And yeah, reading the complaints from SAG, that's one of the really really big ones is the fact that. You know they, that uh, you know filmmakers can digitally input an actor's um, you know facade into a computer and then use them as much as they want without having to pay them necessarily, and that that's absolutely wrong in my opinion. Uh, you know, same thing with the writer strike. You know, the writers are you know concerned with uh, streaming and everything else, and I mean, if Stranger Things. And, and shows like Wednesday and Stranger Things are going to be the most watched shows on Netflix. Of course the writers deserve more than what they initially got to write the show. I mean, you know, that that's the whole point of residuals and points and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm definitely on the side of the actors and writers on this one. Fuck Hollywood. Fuck, you know, I look at Hollywood as like a, 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 co- a corporate CEO, who just wants to suck up all the profits themselves and not have to, you know, divvy out as much to the rest of the grunts in the company. And right now that's what writers and actors are. They're kind of the grunts of the film industry. And, you know, you've got producers and film studio heads collecting up all the money and, and they'll have the balls to cry poverty when even a movie that's not a success is still fucking making a lot of money. I mean, uh, the, the new Insidious movie was the number one movie in, in the country 
last week or this week, and I've yet to hear a positive review for it. So, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm definitely – and, you know, obviously I'm in California. I live in L.A. I play poker with a lot of writers, actors, directors. I'll have some poker stories later in the episode about today's movies, but that's for later. But, I mean – I play poker with the the lady who wrote uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe. So and you know and she's one of the and she's definitely striking blah blah blah. Um uh, I I play poker with one of the writers on American Horror Story. She's written like a couple of episodes here and there. So yeah, it it's really crazy to see these people. Now granted these people aren't hurting for money. You know, it's not like they're poor. There are some. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every writer and actor is a millionaire, not by any stretch. Granted, a lot of the ones I play poker with are, but it's the ones who aren't living in mansions in Beverly Hills that you got to worry about because they're the ones that aren't working right now. You know, they're taking side hustles, working for DoorDash or whatever. You know, they they can't even join their uh, compadres on the picket line because they just can't afford it. It's like I can picket and get kicked out of my apartment or I can go get a side job and pay my rent, you know. So, yeah, I'm always on board for the, uh, you know, the the content creators, the, the, the creative aspect of Hollywood. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I I read some crazy story today that like, and I don't know if it's because the problem a lot with a lot of these conflicts is so much shit gets put out on the internet that internet that it's hard to always verify in real time. But I, I read a story about like these studios trying to put forth um, this idea that like with with AI in the I don't know if it's ready now, but in the future for like extras or maybe like sm- like small non you would basically have the extras come in and you have you have to sign an agreement that you get paid for that day's work but they but they do an AI rendering of you and you get no future compensa- compensation no matter how many times that the AI rendering is used in the future and I'm just like man that's fucking horrible like that's ridiculous. only Hollywood would think of doing that Only a greedy, disgusting corporation like Hollywood, and yes, I did just call Hollywood a corporation because it fucking is, but yeah, only a corporation would come up with that. Hmm, I can digitally copy this person, use their image as much as I want, and then never have to pay them? I I mean, yeah, that that just sounds like a scumbag. (laughs) Yeah, and and like you said, it's, it's it's not really about the AI tech itself, it's about uh, Hollywood like execs figuring out how it will benefit them and nobody else pretty much. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I mean, we, you know, it's it happened um, every time there's a new, there's new media. It, it kind of always happens. Like when, like when DVDs took over and, and like whole seasons of television shows were coming out on DVD and yet the writers and actors weren't getting any extra residuals. All the money was going to, you know, the studio, the license holder. And, yeah, that's bullshit, too. But, obviously, that was that was the strike from 10 years ago. That was the big thing about that one. This one, obviously, being more about, you know, chat programs and being able to – having an AI write an entire movie and star in an entire movie, shit like that. Yeah, it's a little too well, much. Well, yeah. Um, and it's also our it's also our responsibility as the content consumers to collectively say no. Like like if I know that a studio used a celebrity's image without that celebrity's estate's permission, I just won't watch that content. 
You know, it, it, it's up to us. We're the ones who are giving Hollywood money. We're the ones who pay to see these movies. We're, we're, we are the reason that there's so many Fast and Furious movies, so many Transformers movies, so many Mission Impossible movies, because people keep going to fucking see them. So that's where our vote comes in. This is how we can influence Hollywood, is just collectively say no. Fuck that. Because uh, it is going to happen. Eventually, Hollywood is going to have the balls to try to release a movie with a majority, if not the entirety of the cast, be AI, you know, dead celebrities or whatever. And it's up to us as the consumer to say no. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. We all we all collectively said no to Yahoo Sirius in the early 90s. Now it's time for us to collectively say no to AI. <laughs> yeah, it's like fucking. This is gonna be the script for the next Terminator, written by James Cameron. <laughs> you already the know. The world gets taken over by Chat GPT. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you're also seeing that now too. Or like another element of it is you're seeing streaming services like dump old shows. Because they don't want to pay the royalties. Because what what's happening now is like shows that either my generation or my parents' generation grew up watching, since they don't air on TV anymore, they're getting rediscovered by like the next generation on streaming services. So then, like even like something like um, on an app like Netflix, they'll like when you look at their top ten stream things, most like most of the time it's like you know newly released stuff. But every every so often you'll see a few spots occupied by like the most random old shows or movies because what happens is like all these kids or young people that are on social media, uh, something old will catch fire and, be, and these young people have never seen it before. So then all of a sudden it's like you know the third highest streaming thing on Netflix out of nowhere. And I'm sure when the when the streams spike up like that well there goes the cutting of the checks to everybody involved in that show that netflix never thought they would have to bother doing because oh we'll put this on here because you know no one cares about these but it's part of the library but now that actually it's getting millions of views again they got to start paying so some of these servers are just dumping the shows all together um so that's kind of ridiculous my my real hot take would be that like remakes and reboots have almost like been preparing us for AI because if you if you look at how if you look at how a lot of the remakes and reboots are crafted when they're not when they're not passion pro- projects by the director or writer it's basically like oh you take this you take that and now we have a new version of it now Marcus obviously the spell is the AI yeah now obviously it's not the same thing because at least everybody involved is a human and they're still getting paid so even if the movie's shit or I think it's generic or bland. At the end of the day, everyone involved is still getting paid properly. With where with AI, it's going to take it to the next degree. But as far as like people settling for more like generic entertainment, it's like damn, like have reboots and remakes done that to us in a, in a certain way. But uh, that turned into like a burning top, burning question topic, uh, just based yep. off talking about Black Mirror. <laughs> so well done, all three of us. <laughs> Um, By the way, but that's it. Yeah, fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'll kick it back to Venom. So, what what next do you have uh, on your list? All right. The next documentary that I'm going to talk about. Oh, by the way, all three of the documentaries that I'll be talking about this week um, will be 2023. They're all brand new, so 
uh, if you want to pad your 2023 numbers, assuming you include documentaries in those numbers, which I absolutely do. You can also check out on Tubi, once again, uh, the Dogman Triangle, Werewolves in the Lone Star State. Now, this one was really cool. Um, I'm not sure how many, how avid of documentary watcher you guys are, but a couple of years ago, there was a movie called The Beast of Bray Road that was also released on Tubi um, and, that I absolutely loved. It actually was my favorite kind of doc slash mockumentary of the year. And um, this is made by the same uh, filmmakers. So the same people who made The Beast of Bray Road went ahead and made The Dogman Triangle. Obviously, as the title implies, Werewolves in the Lone Star State, it's basically um, a documentary about werewolf sightings and skinwalker sightings in Texas. Um, and, you know, the, the bulk of the movie is interview footage with witnesses and, you know, random things like that. Um, once again, though, I, I think I like The Beast of Bray Road ever so slightly more. Um, only slightly, but this one was still really good. I, I really enjoyed this one. This one's only an hour and ten minutes, so it's a nice quick watch. Like I said, it is on Tubi for free, so you just got to deal with some commercials, but... I find that commercials are a lot easier to take with a documentary than with a feature film. Like, I hate when a commercial break comes up in the middle of a tense scene or even at the end of a tense scene and, you know, suddenly you're watching a commercial for Tide or Best Buy or something and it just breaks the tension. Um, but with a documentary, I find them to be a lot more acceptable. So I think Tubi is going to be my documentary spot hey, from now on. Hey, Venom. Venom, the, the, the best would be if it's like on a sex scene. And all of a sudden, the ah! commercial comes on. Ah, so awesome. <laughs> Need to get stains out? Hmm. <laughs> and then it shows them fully dressed after the commercial's over. Oh, no, my dress is stained. Oh. <laughs> anyway, the Dogman Triangle. I can't imagine Mike or Derek have watched this one yet. Like, it, it's it's such a tiny little production. It has no real fanfare or anything behind it. But like I said, I kind of, I dove deep into these 2B uh, horror documentaries. I, I, actually, I, just, I actually heard of this one because it's been floating around on like the Facebook. It, it keeps popping yeah. up. You know, I liked it. Like I said, I, I recommend it. I'll check it, it out. You know, you're not going to see necessarily anything. It's not like they're going to have actual footage or anything, but lots of artist renditions, lots of witness testimonials, things like that. It just comes off really well done. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, we already know that Bernie Wrightson is the only one that can draw werewolves. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Derek, you're up again. All righty. I'm going left field. I'm actually going to be talking about a video game, Ooh. which I never talk about. <laughs> so uh, I picked up a game recently for the Nintendo Switch called Hollow Knight. Ooh. Have you guys heard of this one? Oh, yeah, I've played it. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's a Metrovanian-style game, you know, platformer, where you follow, like, I would say he's like a demon beetle. <laughs> That's a night beetle. It's like a, a world with insects, and, like, you got to go into this lost, like, cave system where this kingdom was and fight the bad guys around the way. The the fucking visuals of this game are fucking awesome. It's like I, like the art style of it, mm -hmm. it 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 really pops in your vein mind when you're playing this for like a modern day like Metrovanian style game. 
the graphics are beautiful. The artwork is great. I'm actually might talk about another game later that I actually love the art style for. But uh, yeah, I love the how this one progresses. I like meeting the characters on the way during the game. I'm still actually playing it as we speak. Kind of in between a few other style games like this because I'm kind of like. These are the kind of games I always liked because Metroid was one of my favorite video games growing up, and yeah, I, I love the like the puzzle solving, trying to get into other rooms and stuff. It's always cool in that aspect, and like the black and white visuals are amazing. Pretty great game. Yeah. It's it's excellent, well reviewed. I have it on the Switch as well. I haven't played it a ton, but I have played some. Yeah, yeah I love Metroidvania games. In fact, Castlevania and Metroid are like two of my favorite games ever made. With Super Metroid being my number one video game of all time. That's a discussion for another podcast. But yeah, so Metroidvania. Huh? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Want to start a game podcast? Let's Metroidvania. <laughs> Metroidvania games, I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree. Hollow Knight is awesome. Uh, I also haven't finished it yet. I'm the kind of guy who's constantly buying stuff on Xbox um, in the Xbox store. Um, I have I have all the consoles. You know, I've got my PS5, I got my Switch, um, but ultimately. I'm more loyal to my Xbox than anything else, and I still say that Game Game Pass is way more robust than anything PlayStation offers yet, as of right now, anyway. They are catching up, I will admit. There's some great games on the PlayStation Network as well. But yeah, um, Hollow Knight, awesome. Highly recommend. If you're into the, the side-scrolling you know, platformers, it, it's a high recommend from me. Uh yeah, as far as uh PlayStation cuz I have I have a PS5 and a Switch. Um PS5 Premium, I think that's what it's called, whatever the top level one is. Um it has conv- like it has swayed me away from buying like at least a handful of games now because so much so many games that like I've considered buying and like kind of scrolled by before, they end up on there like month to month and I'm just like I, so now it's to the point where like I'm kind of like you Venom where like they'll pop up there and I, I download them and I'll play them for a few hours love it and then the next time I turn on my PS5 I'm like oh all these other ones are free and available so I download those and I start them so I have so many games that I've like started and I love it's just and then I I can't make up my mind like which one to go back to and I'm like oh I'll just browse the store just for the hell of it to see what's on there and there's always usually something like either new or that is still on there that I didn't get before and man it's 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 a really good deal especially for people who like if if you just don't have the funds or you just can't make up your mind sometimes what to spend the funds on you you're better off just using those funds to get the subscription to premium and you're going to get so many games included with it it'll make it worth it yeah, I, I absolutely swear by Xbox Game Pass. Absolutely love it. 15 bucks a month. You get your Xbox Live plus a plethora of free games. And a lot of times they'll have day one releases. Like the latest Halo game was a day one release on Xbox Game Pass. Same with Forza Horizon 5. Um, I think there's a there's a big game coming out soon that's going to be a day one on Game Pass. I can't remember which one it is. But yeah. 
Um, whether you're on a PlayStation or an Xbox, definitely go for those premium services. They they pay for themselves in a month. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of games, uh, Derek sent me, uh, what was it, Moonscars? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Moonscars, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually going to throw that on later tonight. Um, it looks cool. It looks like a, kind of like a action platformer. You know, it looks similar. I don't know if you've heard of the indie game Blasphemous. But yeah, it looks that recently, that. too. That actually would have been a better one to bring up because it's more horror-related. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... but. <laughs> Uh, that game is uh, fucking hot. Those fucking mud guys, I fucking hate them. Yeah, I have Blasphemous sitting on the... It, I have that sitting on the PS4, and I think I was playing the hell out of it until I got stuck in a certain area and took a break from it, but it's it's really good. I like the designs on it. I like the gore and just the themes in it are, are really cool. It's it's very well designed. And, and they uh, released a trailer for Blasphemous 2, so... Um, that's coming later this year, and that looks... Which one? I, I, Blasphemous 2. They they made a sequel, and it's coming out later. Oh, yeah, year. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Actually, I love it. It looks really... It looks like it's going to be really good. Like, you take Blasphemous and, like, upgrade how it looks and the sounds and all... But it's it looks like they didn't... They didn't stray away from what made the first one cool, though, you know? Yeah, fucking... Uh, what's it called? Actually, uh... The the Moon Scars game that I got you, the it's by Humble Games, and they made a actually Proteus too this year with that, that first person like Doom kind of game, which is pretty mm-hmm. awesome too. Sweet. All right, I guess it's back to me. Um, let's see. Okay, so I got a I got another show on my list. This one was this one's currently playing on. Apple Plus or Apple TV, whatever they call it now. These apps always finagle with their names sometimes. But uh, this one's called Silo, and this one's kind of like a dystopian future show. Um, so basically the, the show picks up where there's this massive underground silo that people, like all society, lives in right now um, because, you know, some type of catastrophic event uh, it, it isn't a hundred percent explained like what what happened, but basically Earth became in, in, inhabitable or uninhabitable, and so basically everyone lives their lives down in the silo now. So then you know, as you would expect, the beats for it to hit were like, oh, something happens that causes certain characters to question, and once you start questioning, and the house of card fa- falls, and you start questioning more. Then you set off the alarms of, like, the higher-ups that it's their job to maintain order and make sure nobody questions things. So then you get the natural conflict. Um, but it stars uh, Rebecca Ferguson in it, um, which oh, yeah. I didn't even know. Yeah, I didn't even realize going into it. I just wanted to watch it based off the premise because I, um, I know dystopian uh, movies aren't always necessarily horror, but I, I kind of consider them like a cousin to horror because a lot of times there is something about you know, things in the movie that could be horror-like, so um, I, I've always liked them, but uh, Rebecca Ferguson is awesome, as usual. <laughs> that rapper Common is in it. Um, Tim Robbins is, like, the main... Ba- he's, like, the leader, basically. Yeah, um, he's so, his character from War of the Worlds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, it, obviously the, the end of season one ends on a cliffhanger. I I'm not. I haven't looked into whether they they renewed it, but it's definitely this. The first season was definitely made for it to continue. So um, depending on the success, I assume that there'll be another season of it, and I will be looking forward to it. Um, have you guys? Have either of you even heard of this or seen it or any anything? Nope. I watched uh, one episode of it. I have Apple TV. Cool. Oh, I have nice. Apple TV, yeah. I just, yeah, yeah I haven't watched the whole thing yet. Like I said, time. Yeah, yeah I have to yeah. watch a lot of episodic stuff. I'm very particular with the episodic stuff that I watch. Um, and right now, it's just not really much of anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just me going back to the episode of Cabinet of Curiosities directed by Panos Cosmatos. Peter Weller just does coke, and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, I think like Venom. I I went through that period like a few years back where like I was kind of the same with TV. I think this year and maybe even some of last year, the difference has been that like a lot of new horror. At, like obviously, what we do for fresh cuts, like we're, we're gonna be watching a movie a week no matter what because we we do the show. But I don't know what it's been this last couple of years where like a lot of the new stuff that becomes available that's not part of what we already have to watch for the show, it's just not grabbing me. Like if 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 I see in our chats or something drops and it gets really good reviews, like I'll throw it on. But a lot of the stuff I'm just browsing through is just like, man, I like, I don't know. It's like I, I don't even bother with it, and then so I end up watching shows because I'm like, well, if I give this show the first episode of 30, 45 minutes, if I like it, I'm gonna want to keep watching it. If I don't, then at least I guess I only wasted yeah, a half honest, hour. But yeah, I get you, Mike. I, I get it like that. That's why, like, I feel like I. Because I don't actually, when I go see new horror movies, I don't watch them with a critical eye because you never know, like, in that aspect because you're doing a fucking whole show on new horror movies. So I get why you guys are more, like, you know, when something's, like, not your thing and you're like, fuck this movie. <laughs> <That's the episode laughs> was, you know? But, you know, like, like I know, I, you know, it's all good. It happens. I'm like that was when I did like prep for that 2005 show, you know. I'm like fuck this movie. Every movie I was hating life, you know. Yeah, I think it just comes and goes in cycles for me because there's definitely there, there definitely is times when I'm just uh, exhausted with like TV stuff, and I just like I, I don't want to invest like what eight hours because if every episode's an hour, I I. I I uh, I wince at the thought of like oh so to watch the story I'm at least gonna have to like watch eight hours worth of t- you know content and I don't always want to do that either so sometimes it just is like it, it'll be a coincidence of like okay what's out there available and what sounds interesting to me and that's kind of where I lean at any given time but uh, yeah so that's Silo um, like I said on Apple TV so if that sounds interesting. Check that out. And then for our final round, I'll kick it back to Venom. What do you got? All right. For the final documentary that I'm going to talk about this episode, I'm going to look at, uh, again, something that is currently available on Tubi to watch for you guys free of charge. 
Um, but like I said, I don't really recommend this one. This one, th- this felt like one of the most dull horror-related documentaries I've ever watched. And this one is called Something in the Woods. Uh, the basic premise of this one is there's uh, an urban legend about a spirit or ghost that walks on this one part of a road every single night. Like every single night right before sunset, I believe, um, this image just kind of appears and just walks by this little area. It's like a little wooded area on the side of a highway. And this one guy decides that, you know, he's going to spend the night in the woods near where that happens. Uh, Unfortunately, the woods are owned, uh, they're private, they're owned by a company, uh, like a, a family estate. Uh, so, you know, we see little things like him calling to try to get permission to stay at the night because, uh, the sheriff, the local sheriff has like a standing order to arrest anybody caught in, on these lands. Um, this is why, uh, like the stuff that this filmmaker decided to put in his documentary, it, it just, it doesn't really add much to the documentary. Like the whole conversation with him and the landowners, or at least the lawyer representing the landowners just felt so unnecessary. There's literally a scene in the movie where we watch the guy uh, set up a tent with a single camera. So it's just a single shot. And we literally watch him completely erect this tent. And the whole time I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, there's, there's not, like, narration or voiceover going on over it. It's literally just a shot of this guy putting his tent up. And then finally, and I'm going to spoil this one just because I don't think anybody should watch this, but uh, the whole thing ends with just a picture. Um, the guy had, like, a dozen trail cams with him, you know, the ones that just take a picture as soon as it detects motion. Um, you know, he had all these automatic lights set up. He had like an alarm system, like a buzzer system in case something got into his camp area. And after all of the research and the interviews and everything, the whole thing just ends with a picture of this thing. And unfortunately, it's not a very clear picture. So you don't even really know what you're looking at. It's vaguely humanoid. But that's about it. It could be a spirit. Like I said, it could be a ghost. It could be, you know, some random, you know, nomad who lives in the area. I don't know what the hell it is. But, uh, yeah, like I said, this this one just felt very elementary. Like, it, it felt like this was this filmmaker's first attempt at a documentary. So, yeah. So that's something walks in the woods. I would say don't waste your time. But the you first two even- I talked about are awesome. Okay. You would have made that movie even better if it was revealed to be like a prequel to Harry and the Hendersons. Oh God! <laughs> uh, I usually hate uh, Bigfoot documentaries too, but anything would have been better than what we got with this one. Like literally anything. <laughs> yeah, it was like the, instead of the picture, it's just Harry smiling like. Ah. <laughs> I would accept it. At least that would make me laugh. <laughs> it would made you cry. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> All right, Derek, what do you got for your final Oh, round? me next, right? Oh. All right. I'm going to be talking about another video game. I haven't really watched a lot of movies. <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah, I got this one in the mail. It's called Fist. Forge and Shadow Torch. That's what Fist stands for. 
this is another Metroidvania game where you're in like this dystopian like steampunk world and you play as this rabbit named Ray and you have to stop like the new order that's taken over the town of Torch City that's the name of the town that they're in and pretty much his weapon is this giant mechanical fist that's on the back of his bodysuit that he wears and it gets upgrades through it and it does other things and man this game fucking like for like a modern day like kind of like platformer it had like smooth graphics of like a like a different type of game if that makes sense it feels like a more modern artistic with the digital CG effects in it and I dig that about that and you know this was, like, one of the first games where I fucking didn't die the first time I fucking tried it. I'm like, okay. I wanted to fucking stop. I couldn't stop playing it. I'm like, I have to go to work now. This sucks. I can't, you know. It was, like, one of those type of things where it's, like, a game that I'm actually fucking good at for once. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love the graphics. You know, I love, like, the steampunk aesthetic of the game. And, you know, it has, like, this cool wheel of characters. You, you're a fucking rabbit, and your best friend's a fucking giant talking beer. <laughs> it's cool in that aspect. You were, you know, games with animals. Nice. And I like animals. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. Evil people. Monsters. Hey, even if you don't like living, breathing animals, you probably like them with barbecue sauce, so that's something. Mm. <laughs> Moo. Mm. <laughs> uh, all right. So for my final movie, um, I'll bring up something. I it was a random watch on. I guess this episode's favorite app, Tubi. Tubi's getting the love today. So <laughs> this movie's called. Satan, or spelled S-E-Y-T-A-N, and it is a Turkish exorcist ripoff. And uh, I, <laughs> I gotta say... I love for, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> for anyone that's a fan of the exorcist and exorcist ripoffs in general, um, I'll say this one was a pretty entertaining one. Like, they, they definitely hit some of the beats. They definitely lift some actual scenes, but, like, what they... What they decide to make unique to their own uh, movie is also pretty good. I found, like, the English subtitle track, or at least the one that Tubi uses, was funny at times because you could tell, like, it's not the best translation or there just weren't some direct translation, so they had to, like, do it the best they can. Um, But I thought the girl who played, like, the Turkish Reagan was good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Turkish, Turkish, Turkish father Karis uh, was, was great. And then um, special guest appearance by Turkish Loomis. I, um, I was waiting. I was like, can we get a Turkish Loomis in here? But, uh, Come on, he was the best part of the whole franchise at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely used uh, the actual Exorcist theme many times throughout the movie, just like the, the original did. Um... And, you know, it follows pretty much the same story. It was interesting to see, like, what they decided to keep in there. Like, they, they had the uh, sick Reagan comes down the stairs and pees while everyone's having their 
little musical party. So that stayed in there. The uh, the cross scene was in there, although it was, it was slightly different. Like, it didn't come with the same vulgar dialogue, but still had the same point. Um, and, like, I actually thought, like, there were some cool scenes during the exorcism itself uh, that was actually pretty well done. Um, but, yeah, it, it's one of those movies, like, definitely, if, you, if for some reason you haven't seen The Exorcist, Make sure you watch The Exorcist first because you don't want anything uh, about it getting ruined for you. But if you see The Exorcist and you're a fan of it, the Exorcist ripoff genre is a very fun rabbit hole to go down. Because even the ones that aren't necessarily good, they're still usually absurd to the point that they're entertaining to watch. So like I, I'm, I'm thinking like maybe one day in the future we'll like even do another like Exorcist ripoff themed show because. Oh, yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun subgenre in itself. Just the ripoffs of The Exorcist. Oh yeah. Um, but you guys have both seen this one. Oh yeah, yeah. It's been years, oh, yeah. but yes. Years. I went, I, I went on a, I don't know, maybe like ten, twelve years ago. Um, I found a little video store in Santa Monica that had like a bunch of just oddball movies, and yeah, I went down a rabbit hole of foreign horror, um, and especially, like, homage slash ripoff horror, if you will. So, you know, like Mahakal and stuff like that. I was I was just renting all of these Indian and Turkish and um, Swedish and just all these d- different region of movies that are ripoffs of American movies. And I went down a rabbit hole for a while. But, yeah, I mean, I remember being thoroughly entertained by Saitan. Uh, I <laughs> like I couldn't really keep a straight face, despite the actors and everybody involved kind of taking the uh, the content seriously. It's just you know I and and for context, obviously The Exorcist is my number one movie of all time. So when I'm watching an Exorcist ripoff, I'm gonna nitpick it, you know, big time. The only one of the only ones I ever remember really really liking was the Italian one. Derek, do you remember the name of the Italian one that we reviewed on Twenty Two Shots? Antichrist. Antichrist. Thank you. Like I remember that one had some cool imagery in it, at least. Um, even though the exorcism scene at the end was a little lackluster, I do remember really really liking that one for whatever it's worth. Do you? So. Do you know? Is there? Um... Is there an alter? Uh, are there alternate titles for that? Because after uh, Satan was over, Tubi tried to auto start. It was called, I think, like the Return of the Exorcist. Oh, the, or, there's a few. There's a few Italian Exorcist riffs off Mike's yeah. like beyond. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I looked up the Return of the Exorcist, and like an alternate title for that was called Naked Exorcist because I guess the director of that one also did a lot of like Italian adult like pornography cinema, and they're like, yeah, they're like, yeah, it really shows in, in this one because it <laughs> Joe seems like there's more nudity than anything else. <laughs> Joe D'Amato? Uh, I, I don't think so, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jess Franco <laughs> did it. <laughs> no. Uh, we yeah, I don't know. Yeah. dudes. Tubi, Tubi has like a ton of uh, giallo on there right now. Um, yeah, exactly. And abs- absurd. That movie's like on the front page of mine when I open it under the horror section. So. Dave Parker. <laughs> Dave Parker. Yeah. <laughs> he looks exactly like Mr. Parker in that movie. It's hilarious. He does. 
<laughs> um, yep. All shit. right. Well, that's that's all this, uh, our what we've been watching and playing and that and all that segment. So uh, as far as any news, the only real news item I had, and this is like a tentative thing because it's it's another one of those like, did they really say they're doing it or just say, sure, we'll do it. The the, the rumors striking up of a 28 years later is uh, coming on board because I guess Danny Boyle actually writ, wrote it. And in the interview, he said he was actually like somewhat interested in doing it all along, but I guess he had certain issues with 20, 28 weeks later that made him not want to do like a third one um, and go off and do other stuff. But with the time, with so much time passing now since the original, uh, he's actually like been kind of writing out a, a new entry. And then Cillian Murphy was like, oh yeah, I've been talking to uh, Boyle and I, I'm interested of course, he has a little movie coming out next week called Oppenheimer that could push him to even bigger to the A-list stratosphere. So he might not be interested in doing 28 years later after that, but we'll see. Because um, I know Oppenheimer is not horror, although the thought of like nuclear weapons is kind of horrific, and I'm sure it, you know it'll have its its uh, cool scenes. But I'm super looking forward to Oppenheimer. Um, and I'll probably shell out IMAX for it. Cause, uh, I'm well, yeah, if you're going to watch that movie, you might as well watch it on the best screen possible. Hey, it doesn't really yeah. do much for me. I probably won't sit through it. Mm, I'm not the biggest drama I, guy, especially docudramas. Yeah, not much. Uh, uh, not to say, you, usually for, for me, it just depends on what the subject material is. Like, I'm not always a docudrama person either, but I, I find, like... I find this whole era of U.S. history just kind of fascinating how we went from, like, you know, conventional weaponry to a post-atomic uh, bomb world. Uh, I, so that's probably why it's just more the era that it's covering and, like, the subject material itself. But, yeah, I don't necessarily always flock to docudramas across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so what about you guys? Any any news worth bringing up? Well, uh, <laughs> this was actually a banner week for people like Derek and myself and Kaiju fans all over the world Ooh. as we got the announcement of the next Toho Godzilla movie. They released a poster and a teaser trailer, which does show Big G, but only for a quick shot. Uh, it's not a real trailer. Like I said, it's just a teaser. But uh, it looks like Godzilla minus zero or minus one will be released on December first in Japan. I'm assuming. I'm not sure about a worldwide release yet. But uh, yeah, I will definitely be trying to find that shortly after December first through uh, more nefarious uh, paths if I have to. But yeah, um, no, no word yet on an American release. But yeah, um, I also today posted on my Facebook page uh, the full design of the new Godzilla based on the action figure that they're going to be releasing. And it is fucking gorgeous. I absolutely, I mean, I'm biased obviously, but yeah, I love <laughs> this design. It, it's just, it's one of the next to Shin Godzilla. It's one of the angriest looking Godzillas ever. I fucking love it. Just spiky and yeah. evil looking. <laughs> yeah. It looks awesome. So, 
So exactly, yeah. So that was that was a huge a huge one for uh, for us kaiju fans this week. Yeah. And then just on the off chance, I, I you know I, I've never really done toy stuff before on this show because obviously who gives a shit. Uh, but I'm going to do one only because it is mildly horror-related. And um, for any Funko Pop collectors out there, uh, the latest series of Simpsons Treehouse of Horror Pops are starting to find their way in stores. Um, today, just today, literally at lunch, uh, I went to Hot Topic and I bought the Skeleton Marge. And uh, if you guys remember you know, the episode where Marge wears a skeleton as a costume... Um, and the only other one that's currently available in stores is the Itchy and Scratchy 2-pack, which is a Hot Topic exclusive. You have to get it at Hot Topic or directly from Funko at Funko.com. But for those who are interested, this series includes uh, Snail Lisa, Hugo, which I'm really looking forward to, Hugo Simpson, Bart's uh, you know, uh, conjoined twin, uh, one that I know me and Derek are probably going to own day one, Homer Zilla. I actually have already pre-ordered my Homer Zilla, so yeah, I don't even have to worry about picking it up. Oh yeah. I already meant yeah, I already mentioned Skeleton Marge, and then the last one is going to be Witch Maggie. Uh, if you guys remember the uh, Treehouse of Horror episode where everybody got t- turned into their costumes, and of course Maggie was dressed as a witch. And then there is going to be one king size pop, and that's going to be uh, Willie Willie Krueger, you know from the uh, from the Nightmare on Elm Street send up that they did with Bart and Willie. Uh, this one is when Willie is that giant, um, what do we call it, the giant bagpipe spider in the sandbox. So it's that one, and he's holding Bart up in the air. Um, I think that oh, that's, that's either awesome. going to be a six-inch. Oh, I, I'm very excited for that one. Uh, it's either a six-inch or a ten-inch. It's not one of the standard four-inch pops. Um, I think it's a six-inch, but either way, yeah, that that's going to be a, a nice uh, nice addition to the collection. But, yeah, Um and who knows? I may bring more toy news to future episodes. Because like I said, over the last like four to six months, I've really jumped headlong into toy collecting. And Funko Pops kind of have the majority of my t- uh, attention. I'm also collecting NECA and stuff like that, too. But, yeah. I NECA figured, uh, Yeah, all the NECAs. Uh, at <laughs> least the, the slasher NECAs, anyway. <laughs> slasher NECAs. <laughs> that sounds so wrong. Well, and the cool the cool thing about the pops is like individually they're not that expensive to pick up. No, no, um, commons uh, commons will be anywhere from eleven to thirteen dollars. Like my skeleton Marge is a common, so that costs me like eleven twelve ninety nine I think at Hot Topic, and then the itchy and scratchy exclusive uh, was fifteen bucks, which still isn't that bad because it's a two pack. You know, you're getting. They're smaller pops, obviously. They're not the full-size four-inch ones, but it's, it's a cat and a dog, so of course they're going to be smaller. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that one's really cool, too. That one cost me 15 like I said, but for the most part, anywhere from like 11 to $14 for the commons. That's good stuff. You might even find them cheaper. I mean, you know, people have sales, websites. I mean, since I've been collecting, I noticed that a lot of websites are constantly having sales, you know, three pops for 30 bucks or something stupid like that, so... Yeah, um, much to my wife's chagrin. I can't wait to, can't wait the, for the documentary on Funko Pops. Oh, uh, they'll probably do it on the toys that made us. I would not be surprised if by season four or five of the toys that made us, they'll do a Funko episode. Even though I know the series is more about retro toys, but at this point, you know, Funko Pops have been around 25 years. Eh, 
it's not really ultra retro, but it's something. <laughs> Did you when you were listing off the new ones? Did you mention uh, uh, Hugo Bart? Yeah, Hugo Simpson. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. Um, I'm, that that's one that I absolutely am looking forward to. I mean, I'm going to be picking them all up. Um, I tend to collect whole Did, sets, so yeah. Do you have yeah. the Devil's Flander already? Flanders. Oh uh, yeah, that was the second series. So I've already got Devil Flanders, uh, Homer Kong, Vampire Burns. Devil. Okay, Devil. here's the question though. Did you get the uh, glow in the dark Devil Flanders mod? I did not. Because that's on no. that's on Amazon right now for twenty three dollars. Wow, um, not bad for for a yeah. glow in the dark. That's that's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've got the regular one. Yeah. Yeah, I I have. I'm pretty sure I have the regular one, but I might grab that glow in the dark mod just because. I love getting mods and like uh, store exclusive ones because those once they're gone, uh, you, they're not just gonna keep randomly popping up, you know, like the other ones will. Exactly, that's the great so thing I, about Funko. If you're a collector, especially, you know, it's one thing to collect like Mattel and Hasbro toys where they make the a few million of them. Picked up was. What's that? No, I said I forgot what. Which one was the last pop I picked up? I think it was probably the one maybe you got me, Venom. Yeah, I sent you. Oh, car race. Car! <laughs> Fast and Furious. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Alien Bolton. I actually also bought myself an Alien Bolton at the last toy show I went to. I got Father of Ultra and uh, an Alien Bolton because they were each five bucks, so I got excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. All right, enough toy talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, if there's no other news, then that might mean it's time to take our break before we talk about a couple movies. What do you guys say? Hell yeah. yeah. All right. Well, listeners, we'll be back with Derek's picks for this episode. Derek, what are the two movies that you picked? Yo, I went all fucking batshit crazy on this. I did the Manitou and... uh the Incubus. <laughs> nice. So we'll get into those movies. Derek leading the way right after our break. How long have you had this? About um, three days. It has been 400 years since its last reincarnation. Any pain? It kind of moves sometimes. The soul of black magic is waiting to be reborn. What's your diagnosis? For years, man has turned his back on the supernatural. Mrs. Hurst! I'd almost describe it. Some will deny it. As a fetus. Others will fear it. On her neck? One woman will give birth to it. Uh, uh. The Manitou. Since the beginning of time, it has practiced the mysterious arts. Its day is near. Each hour it grows stronger. Soon it will come. The Manitou. Starring Tony Curtis. On a supernatural journey into the world of avenging spirits. Michael Ansara. What does a white man want with Indian magic? A modern American Indian thrust into a savage struggle with unspeakable taboos. 
Susan Strasberg living in a nightmare. Innocent people tormented by terror, threatened by the unknown, trapped by an ancient horror, the Manitou. An evil that never dies. It just waits to be reborn. Galen Village. Tranquil. Quiet. A nice place to live. But something has gone wrong. Look at the bruises on the kid's neck. One hell of a large hand. His spine was crushed like a piece of balsa wood. When the sun goes down, something stalks the streets of Galen Village. Joe wants to call the Attorney General. Have him send in some help. What do you think I should do? Take whatever help you can get. Thirty years ago in Galen, the same types of murders occurred. I think my past has something to do with these murders. No, Jim, listen. Something silent. Something lethal. Something. Or someone is killing the people of Galen. I think I'm going crazy. Every time he has this dream, somebody dies. You're talking about actual materialization. What kind of a quack are you? The boy's in the clear. He's not in the clear. Every time this kid has a dream, somebody in this town dies. It is real. It is alive. It is among us. The Incubus. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go! And now, on with the show. Hello, everybody. We are back. And today's the first movie choice of this wild double feature. As I usually pick fucking weird movies sometimes to watch on these shows. <laughs> I'll admit that. And I haven't gone, I haven't gone full weird yet. Because everyone's just waiting for me to pick those Naburo Gucci movies. Ah! You know? But, uh... Yeah. These are two widely different movies. They kind of have, like, a supernatural tinge to them in some aspects of them. Kind of 
things manifesting themselves back into the real world, if that makes sense. <laughs> Both movies actually involve that in some weird aspect. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the first movie up for the night is 1978, The Manitou, uh, which is directed by William Girdler. It's actually his final film, because uh, unfortunately he tragically passed away before this movie came out in a helicopter. Well, I'll get more into that in a little minute, but it was a helicopter crash. He sadly lost his life, but he's directed some interesting movies. Uh, most notably, he did the black exploitation exorcist movie, <laughs> Abby. I love Gabby. <laughs> yeah, that was him. Uh, he also directed two movies that me and Venom might be talking about on our creature comfort show. Uh, Grizzly in Day of the Animals. Oh. Yeah. Grizzly. Jaws with a beer. <laughs> Fucking awesome. The Day of the Animals where Leslie Nielsen fights a beer. <laughs> you know, uh, I love his movies. Uh, you know, directors are very interesting because Pretty much, the Manitou's like the biggest movie that he did, and unfortunately, he fucking died. You know, so it would have been interesting to see what other movies that he would have did in the future. But uh, yeah, this one actually has a pretty stacked cast of characters. We got a fucking Tony Curtis in this motherfucker with a fucking rape mustache. Huh. We we got a fucking. Uh, Michael Ansar, or as uh, Mike calls him, the Native American Bret Hart. Uh, Susan Strasberg. Uh, Burgess Meredith with a luscious golden goatee in this movie. Stella Stevens. Uh, tons of people are in this movie. But uh, the Manitou is based on a novel by Graham Masterson, and I guess this movie's pretty much faithful until like, the very end. And so this is the plot of this movie. A psychic's girlfriend finds out that a lump on her back is a grown reincarnation of a 400-year-old demonic Native American spirit. Yes. <laughs> That's this movie. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I heard of this movie. It's, you know, it's like one of those movies where you hear about it and then you kind of want to see it after you hear what it's about. and But you couldn't find a copy until this fucking movie was released by fucking Scream Factory. Because that was like the t time period when I heard about this movie. It was kind of out of print and hard to find. Because, you know, it was like an old Anchor Bay release. But, uh... Yeah! This movie's fucking weird. <laughs> And fucking nuts. Uh, you know, you know, you can see like definitely when they did that fucking end scene, they're like, you know what? They were all smoking weed probably in the back room, and they're like, you know what's hot right now? Star Wars. We should do like a <laughs> Star Wars sequence in our fucking movie. They're like, yeah, that sounds like a fucking great idea. We'll be, it'll be in space, and there'll be flying babies and shit, and fucking. Demonic iguanas. <laughs> you know, let's just do that. And they did. And, uh, actually, ironically enough, there's a fucking, uh, 
movie uh, that I seen a few years ago by Ron Bach, the guy who owns SRS Seminary. He did the movie Sheet Kills. There's, uh, a, se- there's a sequence. Yeah, there's a sequence that takes place in space with a fly-in, like, it's kind of like, I, it's a, like a scene from right out of the Manitou. <laughs> the ending of the Manitou <laughs> they did in the middle of this fucking movie with a killer vengeance vagina. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we might have to do that. Mike might have to see that. <laughs> I own that movie. <laughs> but I do, too. We should do that uh, with House Shark. It would be the greatest double feature ever. Holy shit. Oh, that, coming soon. Me and Venom are planning something. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, look, let's start with Mike. Mike's been quiet. Have you ever seen The Manitou before? And, uh, yeah. Um, I haven't, and I was not prepared. Um. Oh, well, it was the first time watched, it, really? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's weird, or it's funny because the setup, I would say, is somewhat, like, conventional. Like, okay, it, it was giving me, like, basket case vibes or even something like, um, what was it, uh, a couple of years ago, Malignant? Because it was like, okay, she has a growth, and because of, like, I, I, I refer to it as, like, general horror movie knowledge slash experience, you assume, okay, this is going to end up some type of creature or being or something. But I was in no way prepared for just how absurd it was going to get, especially once this thing detaches from its host body. Um, We have the trope of the ever-knowledgeable Native American character who, at the beginning of the show, if you were wondering who... I was referring to as Native American Bret Hart. That would be the character <laughs> in, in this movie. Because, <laughs> yeah, the, when I first threw it on, I, I definitely saw, like, a little bit of a re- resemblance there. Um, I guess the actor's actual name is uh, uh, John like, Seenrock. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, the character. Um, yeah, um... I do, I still don't know what to make of the like the last third of the movie. It's I thought the creature was kind of cool, and then next thing I know, he's walking through the door of the Twilight Zone in space, and he's having <laughs> he's having like battle. a a lightsaber battle, like a low pan versus egg shan laser out of your hand battle. Cool. Um, the crazy thing is Susan <laughs> Strasberg's like fucking naked in that scene too. Where you can see her titties. Which makes it even yeah. weirder. Which makes yeah. it better. Yes. Yes to all of that. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Um, Burgess Meredith uh, makes an appearance in this movie. I, I Did he read this script ahead of time? I don't know. Cause, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad he's there for sure. I'm just surprised he ended up in this. But... Um, it's yeah, this, it's this a fun time. Fucking, like, it's even a, Tony Curtis, like Tony Curtis would, like the hero of this movie is a scheming fake psychic. True, that's <laughs> conning people uh, at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, this movie's a fun time. It's definitely a lot on a first time watch because of just how over the top it kind of gets with it, it, its themes and uh, the type of movie it turns into in that last third half, but. Get yourself some good drugs or alcohol and uh, indulge. And by the time you get to the third act, 
uh, you're gonna love it. <laughs> if you if you like just kind of like weird oddity yeah. type movies, um, this will be right up your alley. So I mean, I'll leave it at that to open up. But yeah, th- this is a good time. Oh, that's good stuff, Mike. Good stuff. Uh, Venom, tell us your story with the Manitou. Okay, this was not a first time watch for me. I I actually really enjoy this movie. I've been I've been watching this movie every couple of years for the last ten to fifteen years or so. Um, I, I I generally tend to like when Native American mythos is kind of mixed in with the horror. So you know, just obviously you know. Being a minority myself, not that Native Americans are a minority. I mean, I guess they kind of are, blah, 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 whatever. Um, But, you know, whenever I see Native American, because it's really the only true American culture, if you think about it. I mean, this country is only, it's less than 250 years old. So there's not really a whole lot of culture here, or at least nothing positive anyway. So looking at the Native Americans kind of as the true ancient North Americans, if you will, I, I am always down to uh, include their, you know, mythology and things like that in a horror movie. So that was very down for this one. Um, the first time I watched it, I was very surprised Tony Curtis was in this because, I mean, you guys, a lot of you guys weren't around, but man, uh, late 70s, early 80s, Tony Curtis was a gigantic star. I mean, he was top tier. A-list, and for him to do a genre piece like this is definitely a little out of out from left field, if you will, but I will yeah. say the movie benefits from it. Um, you know, his performance isn't, like, stellar. It's not, like, one of his best performances by any stretch, but he still has got, he, he still has the chops, you know, he still takes the material fairly seriously. Um, you know, I, I the character of Harry uh, Erskine, I, I you know th- uh, really kind of liked it. I liked, I liked that he was kind of a shyster psychic, but he wasn't really malicious about it. Like he wasn't. Yes, he was taking people's money for false, um, you know, readings and things like that. Um, but like I said, he, it never seemed like he hated the people that he worked with. Um, you know, he, it seemed like he actually had some genuine love for this, these people and probably thought that he was bringing them peace by doing these psychic readings and whatnot that were, you know, I would imagine always positive, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, Michael and Sarah, a great, great job as um, John Exposition Rock, as I call him, because he knows more about Manitou's than anybody on the planet. And thank <laughs> God he's in this movie. He's one of those convenient characters that just happens to know everything about the antagonist that these people are dealing with. And, you know, that's not a complaint necessarily. It's just, it's ultra convenient that, you know, the and technically it's not the first shaman that he went to visit. I think it was like the second or third one or something because he had already been turned down by a couple. But just the fact that he ran into a guy who was willing to share all of this secret Native American information, uh, you know, stories that they probably would never tell the white man, if you will, you know, just to keep, you know, to themselves within the community. So I, I just, yeah, um, obviously Susan Strausberg, beautiful, gorgeous, loved watch, looking at her naked multiple times in the movie. Um, and, and she does have a really good performance, like especially – the weirdness of the finale kind of takes away because you're, you know, first of all, Susan Strasberg is topless throughout the whole finale. 
And, you know, so that's kind of distracting if you're a guy or, or a gay woman. And so, it, you know, it kind of you're not really paying attention to the performance, but when you do, it, it is solid. You know, she's she's doing a good job. She's doing the best she can with the material she's given. Um, and then my personal connection to this movie is with the Manitou himself. There are two actors who are credited with playing the Manitou in this movie. One is named Frank Sil- uh, Frank Silla. And the other one is Joe Geib. And I actually know Joe Geib um, personally. I actually play poker with him uh, every Saturday at the Burbank Moose Lodge out here. And he's a great dude. I mean, he actually, he also played the Donald Sutherland copy in the uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers ripoff. Um, he's played a lot of really cool, like, you know, little monsters and whatnot in movies. He Obviously, he's a little person, but that should go without saying. But, um, yeah, Joe actually, I, I, I feel like Joe does a great job, even though he's not really speaking English in this movie, you know, unless it's like being spoken through um, Karen's character or through somebody else's character. So he's not speaking directly in the film. But, I mean, I, I love his facial expressions. I he love, looks like little Adam Chaplin. I'll go with that. Absolutely. And Joe actually does kind of look like that. He doesn't have the long hair. Yeah. But, you know, he's he's this little tank of a little person. You know, he's buff as hell. Um, but, yeah, I, I always thought that Joe, even before I met him, I think I met him, what, 2014? So, like, nine years ago I met him. Even before I met him, I was a fan of this movie. I, I do, as I said, I like Native American culture, and I like it when it's incorporated into my horror films. So, yeah, overall, this movie isn't a masterpiece by any stretch, and Mike isn't wrong with the, you know, the what-the-fuck factor of the third act. I mean, it's definitely out there. But when you realize that, yeah, this movie was released the year after Star Wars. Star Wars was obviously the biggest thing in the world. Everybody wanted to incorporate sci-fi into their movies, if not directly rip off, you know, Star Wars, um, you know, unceremoniously. But this one, yeah, we get a little bit of a... (laughs) It's not really an outer space sequence so much as... It, the sequence takes place in a hotel room, but it, it, it almost looks like they're transported to, like, a, an outer space-type area with the stars and everything in the background. Um, so, yeah, overall, I like the movie. It, it's it's not a movie that I'm going to sing its praises, you know, uh, all through the halls or anything. Um, but, you know, because I have a personal connection to it through Joe, I am a big fan of it. And you know what? I'll never complain about seeing Susan Strasberg naked. So, yeah, I like the movie. (laughs) Good stuff. Yeah. uh, And, you know, actually, ironically enough, if you didn't know, like I said, this is based off a novel by Graham Masterson. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, that that novel series is all about, like, the character that Tony Curtis plays. They're actually... William Girdler was actually supposed to, his next movie was going to be the sequel to The Manitou called The Djinn, which was That's the second awesome. book where Tony Curtis would come back and he was scouting locations for that movie when the helicopter crash happened. Ah, uh, that sucks. Yeah. But, yeah, when I say any William Girdler's movies are masterpieces, do I enjoy the fuck watching them whenever they're on? Oh, yeah. Guess, he had a movie where a grizzly dies from getting shot with a bazooka. 
That's fucking awesome. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of weird movies, I guess we could go into the other movie. Uh, 1982's The Incubus. Uh, yeah, this one's actually a director that I know also, John Hogue, who's a British director. Uh, me and Mike actually talked about one of his early movies when Cinema Attack was still around. He did Twins of Evil. Remember that movie, Mike? Yeah, I do. I definitely do. <laughs> yeah. And he also directed The Legend of Hell House, which is pretty awesome. That's an awesome haunted house movie. Top five haunted house movie to me. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. He even dabbled in Disney. He did the 70s Witch Mountain movies, like Escape from Witch Mountain, Return to Witch Mountain. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, uh, later on he did, like, uh, he did a fucking Howling 4, which is weird. <laughs> Odd. Odd choice. And he did that 1988 movie, American Gothic, with Rod Steiger and Yvonne DiCarlo. Mm -hmm. that, that movie's pretty awesome. Uh, the kid in the fucking... The fucking... Uh, uh, the fuck's that? What's the thing that goes back and forth at the playgrounds? I can't... The, Which one? The swing or the... The TV yeah. top? It's fucking... There's an awesome scene with one of those. Swing! That's what... The, I was looking for the fucking... Easiest word is a fucking swing. Yep. I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he did The Incubus, which is a Canadian production, which a lot of the actors, side actors and background actors are Canadian in this movie. But uh, it stars John Castavetes, who we actually talked about on this podcast before in Rosemary's Baby. Awesome. Uh, who else? I, I like to this. The, the the title is the alternate title. Of this movie is John Cassavetes stares at people sinisterly. <laughs> <laughs> he has that yeah. natural look to him where it's like almost like part suave, but part like sinister. Like it's almost like instead of a natural natural resting bitch face, it's like a natural evil eye look. Yeah, I don't know about Suave. I think he's more forceful. Like, I, I felt like Tony Curtis in The Incubus was Suave and had charisma. In this movie, he just kind of forces his way into everything. He forced his way into the police investigation. He forced his way, you know, into a makeout session with a reporter. He forced his way into Tim's house to accuse him of being the killer. I mean, he's just <laughs> a very forceful person. Like, there, there's no subtlety to anything that Cassavetes does, at least in this film. And god damn, did, sinister is one way to put it. I mean, rapey is another way, because he just comes <laughs> off as so creepy. Like, all, like, the fucking, the, the scene where he sees his own daughter naked in the shower freaked me right the fuck out. Yeah. You know, like, he doesn't turn his head right away in disgust. He stands there for a couple of seconds. It's like, and, and when the scene first occurs, you don't know it's his daughter. 
um, it's it's very early in the movie. Then later on, later on in that same scene, you find out, oh, that's his 18-year-old daughter. And I'm like, and instantly I'm like, oh, I need a shower. I feel gross. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking skeezy. <laughs> Man, but... Uh... Like, it, it's movies like this that get me to wonder why Cassavetes is always portrayed like such a suave guy who can actually get women. You know what I mean? Like, like with Tom Atkins, there's a charm there. With John Cassavetes, it's not a charm so much as you're going to take this dick. You're going to take it. <laughs> Just deal with it. You know, I mean, he's not forcing himself into situations necessarily. Not all of them. There are a few where he absolutely does. But... God damn, he's just got these eyes of, you know, either you're going to give it to me or I'm going to take it. And that just keeps me right the fuck out. <laughs> oh, I hope Gina Rollins doesn't listen to this podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Incubus. Michael, is this the first time watched for you? Uh, this one... Is not a first time watch. Um, oh. You would think it was, just considering <laughs> the weirdness of this, and it's not exactly a movie that comes to people's mind like right away. But uh, I have seen it now. I've only seen it like once before, or you know, just on a random like, oh, let's find a weird horror movie I've never seen before. And this one also fits fits that bill. <laughs> Um, I think I probably, I want to say the first time I watched it was probably post watching Rosemary's Baby where, you know, that was such a good movie or the, you know, at the time I was like, oh, it's such a cool movie. Let me see what else these people have done. So you look up John Cassavetes and I'm like, what's this Incubus movie? And yeah, it's a totally different movie than <laughs> Rosemary's Baby. I'll tell you that much, but yeah, this is... Yeah, like we're still in weird territory here, but weird and entertaining. Um, you kind of have like the cult aspect. You have like the psychic ability guy, which he's always grossly spitting up anytime he has visions. That was disgusting. Uh, you have like a twist in the story, which is cool. Um, beautiful women in this movie too. Um, but yeah, uh, this one is out there somewhat too, and and the way they all kind of tie it up in the end is an interesting way to go about it. But I definitely was entertained by this one as well. This this is another one where it's like it's hard to recommend to people necessarily, depending on the crowd, only because it's 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 a very specific type of horror movie. Um, there's like even some creature stuff in it, which I thought, I thought some of the creature stuff like was shot very well. Like the scene in the bathroom stall with the blonde chick, Um, the way the monster's arms come under it. I thought that was like really cool. Library scene was fucking awesome. (laughs) Library scene. Yup. Exactly. So yeah, another entertaining movie. Yeah, this is like the like the thing that always like like the investigation shit that happens in this movie is fucking like it reminds me of like something like later on like seven where you hear like scenes where like oh there was like thirty pounds of semen inside of her I'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You know, it's like shit like that where it's like, what the fuck? You know, it's like watching like a weird like Giallo movie with a fucking... The, you know, and the weird thing is this movie came out before Nightmare on Elm Street, and this movie was doing, like, dream shit, too. Yeah, yeah which is kind of, like, ahead of its time. Like, there's actually another movie that came out this year that... Dream shits. There was, like, two, like, pre-Nightmare on Elm Street movies that dealt with that dream thing. Like, and, like, the slasher POV shit happened in... That scene with the fucking shovel. <laughs> and oh, the fucking that was great. Oh. That was awesome. Best yeah. kill of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and John Cassavetes, you know, like, actually my favorite role of his was when he, you know, like, I love him in The Dirty Dozen because all those guys are just fucking crazy in that movie anyways. But then, yeah, I'm like, fucking, I actually like, you know, he had kind of like that sleazy performance in The Fury, the Brian De Palma movie, which I like. Mm-hmm. Where he's the bad guy, and that makes more sense because you know, because right away in the movie, you know, this guy is the fucking bad guy, and this one, he's like, he's supposed to be the hero of the movie, pretty much in this movie, and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck my daughter. That weird thing with her in bathrobes next to each other, <laughs> and that's what began. And I'm like, what? I don't remember this the first time I seen this years ago, and yeah, it's like weird and creepy, but uh, you know. It's, it, it, it deals with, like, that aspect, too, where he has something wrong with his psyche after, like, his wife died and shit, too, which kind of makes sense. And the thing that I love about this movie more is the opening, like, credits is the last shot of the movie with the eye, which is awesome. And, you know, it starts where it begins. Like, you know, it ends. it begins where it ends, pretty much, which is a cool aspect of the movie, which I like. And, you know, that weird scene where they go to a movie theater to see a fucking Samson video with young Bruce Dickinson? <laughs> I flipped the fuck out when I saw Bruce Dickinson. Because you hear him first before you actually see him. And I am a huge Iron Maiden fan and Samson. I was a Samson fan back in the 80s, you know, before Bruce joined Iron Maiden in 1982. And I hear the voice and I'm like... No, there's no way Bruce Dickinson is in this movie. Why would he be? And then, bam, there he is on camera singing an old Samson song. And literally, the scene feels like a Samson music video. It's like, yeah, they're in a theater, you know, watching this band perform, but they've got, like, um, what do you call it, like, dancers on stage that are, like, emulating sex or, you know, making out, shit like that. It's just a, and then the band is in the background performing the song. It's just a really, really odd fucking scene uh, to just pop up in the middle of a horror film. Yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah. (laughs) Mike, what did you think about that scene? Uh, Yeah, I was kind of in bewilderment, like, is this actually happening right now? And I saw this because I was like, holy shit, is that Bruce Dickinson? And um, it it almost felt like uh, Bollywood-like where, like, in the middle of your movie, I'm like, are they... Are they watching the Manitou in this movie? Because that's how, like, bizarre it seemed, like, (laughs) during the movie just to break out into the Bruce Dickinson stuff. Because that in itself seemed like a whole production they needed to make just to have it in the movie. Um, 
But that was yeah, it was pretty absurd. But it when it comes to these, when it comes to Incubus, like absurd goes with it. Some it just works, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so this is you know like the tagline whenever I can read it back. He is the destroyer. I'm like, yeah, he destroys vaginas. That's for sure. Damn. <laughs> Which is really weird. <clears throat> for me, this was a first-time watch. I I had never seen the Incubus. Um, oh, is it the Incubus or just Incubus? I think it, it different territories calls it either or. Okay, does that make sense? Because the title card said Incubus, but everything else that I see, like on IMDb and everything else, it's the Incubus. And even when you go to Tubi, I watched it on Tubi. Um, when you go to Tubi and look for it. It says the Incubus again because there's the famous movie poster, you know, with the monster there on it holding the half naked girl, blah blah blah. So yeah, that was kind of weird, but it makes sense, I guess, if different regions would uh, display it a different way. Uh, but anyway, like I said, yeah, first time watch for me, very very out there. Nick Castavetti's man, he is just a very off putting person. Um, yeah. He is so touchy feely. He t- he'll. Like, literally, he'll meet someone, and he'll have his hands on their face, like, within a minute. It's like, who the fuck are you that you're touching all these strangers, you know? I mean, granted, this is before pandemics and, you know, shit like that, but it's still just fucking creepy as hell that this guy just touches everybody. And if you think I'm exaggerating, watch the fucking movie. He touches everybody in this movie. Like, even a nurse that he passes by, he grabs her hand to say hello, and it's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, only because you're a Hollywood actor could you get away with shit like that. Yeah. I mean, um, but yeah, like I said, his facial expressions are very off-putting. His mouth, like, his mouth bothers me. He he ain't got a pretty mouth. It just, it's really fucking weird. It's almost like an evil smirk like, permanently plastered on his face, and it just, like, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know how these women find him attractive, I just legitimately don't, like, like Tom Atkins makes sense, you know, um, th- this one, I- I'm sorry, I-, I just don't get it, maybe, and obviously in Rosemary's Baby, he's younger, he's a little bit better looking, blah, 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 you know, this is what, this is 81, so, you know, 21 years after Rosemary's Baby, or not 21, I'm sorry, like 13 years after Rosemary's Baby, so, you know, obviously there's age involved, but, man, what a weird choice for this movie. Uh, I, I feel like Tony Curtis would have kicked this movie's ass if he was in this role. Um, but, you know, not not to say that Cassavetes did a bad job. He didn't. He's very believable as that character. There's a lot of unbelievable stuff about the movie, too. The fact that the police let this doctor get so involved in an investigation. It's like, yes, doctors, especially if they perform autopsies, they're an important part of a police investigation, but not to the point where they're going to crime scenes and looking at blood splatter. It's like, you're just a doctor, you know? You're a fucking, I I mean, I'm not sure what his exact title was, but yeah, he's just a fucking doctor. So it really freaked me out. Same thing with the reporter in this this movie. The report, it felt like the, like the cops in this movie were all just limp dicks who couldn't do anything. Like you, you know, you do have the right to keep people out of a crime scene. You do understand that, right? Instead, they would just let her walk right the fuck in with her camera and everything. Like what the hell is going on? This is the weirdest 
most elementary, well, not even elementary, the most Keystone Cops police investigation I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. it's laughable. It's absolutely laughable. But there, there are, I feel like the movie just, it takes a little long getting to where it's going. Like, obviously, with creature features, and Derek and I both deal with it on creature comforts, you know, sometimes they'll hold the creature back. They won't show the creature right away. This fucking movie doesn't give you the creature until, like, the last five minutes. And, yes, you do see its arms in one scene. You might see, like, a foot or something in another scene. But as far as, like, full-on, here's the monster, we only see it at the end of the movie, and it's in the context of a dream. It's not even in the real world. We never see the monster in the real world in this movie. It's only in the context of Tim's dream. Um, and it's too bad because I like this monster. I thought he looked pretty cool. Yeah, it looks fucking awesome when you see yeah, it. Yeah, with the big fucking mouthful of sharp teeth. Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. I'm, I was really shocked that they didn't give us more of it. And then the last thing is really more of a question. I need someone to explain the ending of this movie. Like I said, this was a first-time watch. I literally just finished watching it before we started recording. Um, in fact, we started a little late because I was still watching the movie. I don't understand this ending at all. Someone's going to have to explain it to me. Okay. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm a dumbass, but I, I, either, either the movie didn't put something in there that it should have to make it easy for the audience to understand what just happened, or I'm either, maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. But yeah, Derek, go ahead, please do your best. Give me the best second grade explanation of the end of this movie. So Ends with, like, you see the full, like, scene of the actual full dream where the incubus happens right. and Tim runs up to the room. And the reason he ran up to the room is he found out who the incubus was and he was going to kill her. And it was the news reporter the whole time, Laura, because she was the daughter of the rape where the mother was raped by the actual incubus. So, and that's the way it could come back into the world. Ah, I did catch that she was the uh, daughter. Because um, when he screams and she runs her, you are my sister. And then, right, you know, yeah. And he's going to stab her with a dagger. That's the dagger that kills the incubus. But then John Cassavetti comes in the room. And that's where you have that scene where after Tim dies and he looks up to her, you see, like, the incubus kind of, like, from the dream kind of imposed on her. That's the to say that she was the incubus. It was kind of like a visual representation of that. Okay. And I, For some reason, I thought they were implying that Cassavetes was the incubus for some reason. Yeah, that's why Lara was so entangled with the investigation because she was actually the one doing okay. it the whole time and the rest reveals Lara just fucking dick-raped her his daughter in the bed. Right. That's the thing that kind of got me is that he kills Tim and then he hugs um, the reporter and then we see an image of his daughter dead, raped and pretty much dead. And then he just kind of has this weird stare into space like Where he's, he's making some kind of realization. It is. And but it just, I yeah. don't know, maybe I wasn't paying quite because it was the end of the mm. movie and – you know, you guys were waiting for me, so maybe I was only half paying attention. But goddamn, a little that, bit better. That, it's just a quick, like yeah, I, I think they could have done a little bit better job of kind of 
I don't want to say spoon feeding the ending to us, but I don't know. I, I really wish like that explains why we don't see the uh, the incubus throughout the film in the real world, because it probably would have given away who the incubus was earlier. So I understand that. But yeah, this is definitely a creature feature that needed more creature. Like to me, Cassavetes is not enough to carry this movie. Uh, the police investigation, the the inept police investigation in this film is not enough to, you know, uh, carry this movie. I, it's one of those weird ones where there's some great death scenes in here, and I give the movie credit for that. Um, you know, because there weren't really that – well, I mean, I guess there was one good decapitation in the Manitou. So there were a couple of decent deaths there, too. Yeah. But, that was yeah, PG, too. I, Really, with all those tits? Yeah. Wow, go figure. One thing I will say, and I don't know if it's the 70s aesthetic or not, but both of these movies felt like TV movies to me. Other than the fact that there's violent uh, deaths and boobs, I don't know, just something about the way they were shot, something about the score. They both felt like TV movies to me. And, you know, obviously looking at The Incubus, it's rated R. And when you think about some of the kills in it and, of course, all the nudity throughout, it's obvious it's not a TV movie. But I don't know, just something about the way that both of these movies were shot. Like I said, maybe it's that late 70s aesthetic, because even though this movie is 1981, it was probably shot in 1980, which is basically still an extension of the 70s. And we're, we're like low budget because it's Canadian, too. So they oh, there's that, too. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't dislike the movie i definitely enjoy the manitou more um this one like i said i i just wish we would have gotten more creature i wish we would have gotten the monster a little bit sooner um and then like i said just that ending i don't know like i said maybe you know I, i'm just gonna say that maybe i wasn't paying attention as closely as i should because i was preparing to record the show but uh yeah I, I kind of wish they would, they would have been a little bit more obvious about it. But maybe on rewatch, you know, I'll, I'll see something that I missed. Because I definitely caught the line about, you know, that she's the daughter of the woman that was being tortured. Mm -hmm. um, but for some reason, like, then then uh, Cassavetes walks in, stabs Tim, and then sees the image of his dead daughter. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Who are they implying is the Manitou here? And then even ultimately... Even the even if I knew who the Manitou was, I would not be happy with this ending. Like, literally, Cassavetes spends this whole movie trying to find this killer, and finally, at the end of the movie, he loses his daughter to this killer. And then just the movie ends with him embracing the killer. Like, literally, they're arm in arm. Um, obviously, because he's just making the realization right there. But the point is, I feel like there's like 10, 15 minutes more of this movie that's missing. Because as as um, as a horror movie, I don't like this ending. It's too open-ended. It's almost like they were setting up a sequel, um, which obviously never came. But I don't know. I, I feel this is a movie that I did enjoy. I just wish it had more. More horror, more creature, more, you know, maybe not more kills necessarily. I mean, the amount of kills are fine. Maybe that first kill could have been better, the one at the lake. Uh, that that one was kind of lame for a first kill in a you know sorta in a supernatural slasher movie. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it's just one of those things where I just wish there was a little bit more. It's not a bad movie, but 
Cassavetes is definitely an acquired taste. <laughs> Thankfully, he's not the true star of Rosemary's Baby. Not that I ever had a problem with him in Rosemary's Baby, other than being an asshole, but that's Guy's character. Guy was an asshole, so that's fine. This one, it just, his character, like, there's no rhyme or reason to any of it, and it bothers me a little bit. Um, and just a little bit, mind you. It's not like I'm going to put the movie down for it. Overall, I enjoyed the film. It's, you know, it's definitely something I can see myself returning to, you know, later on down the line to try to give it another chance and definitely give that ending another chance. But, yeah, I definitely, it left me wanting more. Let's just leave it at that. I want it all. I want the whole world. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I I don't even consider myself a greedy. uh, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Venom, I do agree that the style of the movie, we it does take a while to get where it's going um, as far as how the story unfolds. And the creature does kind of come in late to the movie. So, yeah, I would agree there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way the first time I seen it, too, like like three years ago. I didn't, you know, I'm not like really... I don't watch this movie all the time. I just like kind of <laughs> wanted to revisit it, really. Yeah. And you know, there was some cool aspects on second watch, like like some of like the background paintings that John Cassavetes walks behind. It was like even those are like kind of foreshadowing the fucking end of the movie all the way through when he's just talking to this lady that he's trying to fuck. <laughs> Who's he you not know? trying to fuck in this movie? You know, I'm convinced he, he wants to fucking his, his own daughter. I mean, aside from the opening scene where he fucking stands there for an inappropriate amount of time looking at his naked daughter, they share a kiss later in the movie that's just a little too long. Like, it's a kiss directly on the lips, and it's like, don't get me wrong, I've seen fathers and daughters kiss on the lips, that's fine, it's usually like a quick peck. This was not a quick peck. This was like almost, like, intimate, and it just creeped me right the fuck out. <laughs> like, I, I can't get past Cassavetes in this movie. Like, you know, the, the movie could have been a lot better, and ultimately Cassavetes would still be a detriment to me, personally, because he's just a weird one. I, I just look at him, and I don't know. I, I, I guess the short explanation is I don't like his face. I guess we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, he's better at playing crazy bad guys. Yes. Know. Yeah, he should not have been the hero in this movie. At he like should have not 100%. been the... What if Tom Atkins was in this movie? I, I probably might accept it. It would have been a really, really young Tom Atkins in 1981, but I might accept it. I don't know. Like, the role should definitely go to an older gentleman. I understand why he got the role. It's just his mannerisms throughout the movie, like... Halfway through the movie, I thought he was the incubus. Imagine if George C. Scott was in this. Yeah, he'd be yelling the whole movie. (laughs) (laughs) I love George C. Scott, but I can only take him yelling so much. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this definitely takes the the cake for weirdest ending of the year for me, for a movie I've seen this year. This ending was an oddball. Not bad, necessarily, just like I said. Everything that I've already talked about. True. <laughs> you nailed it, Venom. Good stuff. I want to see more monster. 
Yeah, it's I don't know that I actually lots of monster in your monster movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know that I necessarily needed to see the monster actually raping a girl. Like that's unnecessary. I don't need that. But I definitely I would have liked to have seen at least one attack in the modern day with the monster. Obviously not the daughter, not not Cassavetti's daughter, but maybe someone before that. Maybe some other random person. Because I mean the Incubus. There's that one scene in the farmhouse where he literally takes out, like, three people in quick succession, the dad and two daughters. And uh, I, I would have loved – that scene needed to be more. I would have loved to have seen more of that scene just to really – and that's the scene where we should have seen the Incubus the first time. I feel like that's the scene where we really could have seen the horror of what that thing can do. And like I said, I don't want to see it rape anybody, but, I mean, it killed the dad, so why don't you let me see that at least, you know? So, you know, like I said, it's a movie that just needed a little more, but not bad, ultimately. True. It's better I probably than agree Helen with the 5.5. What's that? It's better than Helen 4, that's for sure. Oh, by far. God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, it looks like that's going to wrap up our discussion right. on... <laughs> On Incubus, the Manitou, and episode 54, No More Room in Hell. But we don't leave until we let everyone know where else they can hear us. So, Venom, uh, what other shows do you got, and what do you currently have out there? All right, so on uh, the show that Derek and I are both on, No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. We just released episode... um, 17 or 18, I forget what number, but it's one of those. Uh, basically, we looked at a brand new movie. We looked at the Thai creature feature, The Lake, that's you know just came out in March, getting a lot of buzz. Uh, so we were able to take a look at that, and uh, that episode is officially out. So check the No More Room in Hell feed for that one. All of our shows, as Mike has mentioned many times, are also available on YouTube. So you could check out our YouTube channel as well. Mike will give you the uh, the actual name of it when uh, when he comes around here. Um, so that's Creature Comforts. Um, unfortunately, we haven't had a chance to record a new episode of the Crystal Lake Gift Shop. Uh, we've just got those three episodes out. That is, of course, our episode-by-episode episode retrospective of the Friday the 13th series that aired from 1987 to 1990. Uh, so there's, there's still three episodes of that to check out. Um, hopefully sooner than later, fingers crossed, we'll get episode four out. And then, of course, Fresh Cuts, our weekly look at the newest releases in the horror genre. Uh, our latest episode is, is Insidious, our latest episode? Yeah, it is, right? Uh, yeah, the, the new Insidious. Yeah, Insidious, the Red Door, which, you know, unfortunately is not creating the greatest reviews. But if you want to find out what Mike, Don, and myself thought of it, go ahead and check out the latest episode of Fresh and Cuts. Red Door with Black Curtains. That's what's funny is that the first time I saw the red door in the movie, I thought about that Rolling Stones song. I see your red door and I want to paint it black. <laughs> and then it happens. <laughs> do, 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 do. Uh, I was laughing so hard when that happened in the movie. I, I don't think anybody else in the theater was laughing. I'm sure they were all looking at me thinking I was crazy. But, yeah, uh, all I could see was Mick Jagger's, you know, doing his little chicken walk there. and uh, Fuck. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, so that's the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. 
Um, I do have a guest spot coming up on the Joe Blow Horror Show. It's already been recorded. Um, we are that is for the summer series for the Joe Blow Summer Series. This year they are looking at Resident Evil movies, the Resident Evil franchise, the live action Resident Evil franchise. I don't believe they're looking at any of the CGI movies. But, um, yeah, I actually was lucky enough to talk about my favorite Resident Evil movie, which, shocker, it's uh, Apocalypse. It's, Res- it's the second Resident Evil movie, the first one where Nemesis shows up. I absolutely adore Nemesis. I am a gamer, as has already been explained many times. Um, Resident Evil is potentially my favorite franchise, video game franchise out there next to Mortal Kombat. So, absolutely <clears throat> love that one. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for me. No more guest spots that I can think of. Um, just so basically just the no more room in hell shows. Check them out. All right. How about you, Derek? Preacher Comforts, the lake. Check it out. That's it. Move on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So I've promoted it plenty on Fresh Cuts, but since we haven't... recorded a new episode of this in a while if there's any holdouts that only listen to this and not fresh cuts i'll just say my i had a guest appearance on what's currently the latest episode of slumber party massacre uh where we talked about uh franchise sequels that possibly jumped the shark um i know they're recording a new episode i think tomorrow (laughs) so it will no longer be the newest episode for very long but uh right now it currently is so check that out i think spotify or wherever podcasts can be found and that's pretty much it for me um fresh cuts still pretty much coming out weekly Uh, and like venom said insidious the red door is the latest one on that um there'll probably be another episode of that by the time you're listening to this um, but since there's no theatrical release, we start to pick something for that, which we will soon. And, uh, yeah, after that, I don't know. Uh, the, I know the end of the July, talk to me for Fresh Cuts. Talk like to a, me. A, talk to me. Yeah, the, <laughs> the A24 movie. Statue um, hand movie. Yeah, that one has some potential, but we'll see. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time we heard about a movie's potential. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's probably it. Whose picks are next in on rotation for this? Is it ben- Venom? Oh, me again already. Okay. All right. Well, um, just as I had no idea it was me, I have not picked anything, so like, there will be like no announcement John- to close this show. You're like <laughs> fucking John Cassavetes at the end of The Incubus. No idea what the fuck's going on. <laughs> all right well with that said we're going to descend back down to the lake of fire although here it feels hot enough to where i don't need to descend anywhere but <laughs> um thanks everybody for listening hopefully we'll be back sooner this time with episode 55 but until then let's say bye to all our uh no more roman hell minions bye later peace Yeah, don't be rapey, please. (laughs) (laughs) Those bathrobes are excellent, though. Valid, valid.